Isaiah chapter 12. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 12 this morning. Isaiah chapter 12, and we'll be looking at verse 1. And in that day you shall say, O Lord, I will praise you, though you were angry with me, your anger, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Jehovah, that word Yah in many translations is uh, just a shortened form of Jehovah. The Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among his peoples, make mention that his name is exalted, sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things that is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Now, Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word this morning. We do thank you, Lord, that we can draw from the wells of salvation this morning. Oh, that great and abundant grace that flows to all who will believe and the great outpourings of your blessings upon those who are committed to following you. Oh, Lord, we pray that as you would fill us with the joy of our salvation, with the, the joy of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God that will abound in our hearts, that you can change us, Lord, and into uh, your marvelous light, and that the world, as it grows darker and darker, will see the light of the word, see the light of the world, the gospel living in and through us. Bless your people, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah is a very interesting book, and uh, I was going to, one of the things I have done in all my ministry is, uh, is I've tried to give surveys and make sure that people know the Word of God. But uh, the older I get and the more I go through the Word of God, the more I find how difficult it is to preach it. What I mean by that, it just gets deeper and deeper, and all of a sudden you start saying, how can you get all this in in a 30-minute message or a 40-minute message as far and help people to understand it and not only apply it to, uh, to understand it, but to apply it to their lives. And Isaiah is, uh, of course, one of those great, uh, as we, as somebody I, heard, I was uh, uh, reading this past week, he calls him the handle of the Old Testament. And of course, the George Frederick Handel was the one who wrote Handel's Messiah. And, uh, and most, a lot of the uh, quotes or a lot of the Messiah comes from the book of Isaiah. If you you know, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's part of the hallelujah course. But that, uh, that is a, uh, a long oratorio that is just filled full of scripture and much of it from Isaiah. Isaiah is uh, one of the key passages, of course, we have seen that a virgin shall uh, bring forth a son. And that was uh, fulfilled in the first chapters of both uh, Matthew, Mark, excuse me, Matthew, uh, Luke, and John. We see that uh, the whole Bible, the whole New Testament is based on the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw in Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. The idea that he will shoulder government one day. 
as well as, of course, he is, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. And we saw that uh, that's exactly what he is. He is our counselor and he is awe-inspiring. We will exalt him as uh, Isaiah tells us. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls have been very, uh, of course, were found in 1948 in the Qumran area over in uh, south of Jerusalem in those caves, uh, many of which uh, David hid in when he was uh, running from Saul. Um, and uh, they're fascinating in the fact that Isaiah is one of the major scrolls that they found, and they've dated the, the scrolls back to about 300 BC, or maybe a little bit even farther back than that. If that's the case, then these scrolls were probably copied or written uh, during the times of Malachi. And Malachi and the people that followed him, and we know there were about 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. And so we see that the virgin birth and all this was, was predicted or was prophesied, uh, and it came literally to pass. And that's why Matthew says all these things were done uh, which were spoken by the prophet saying, or we saw in Matthew chapter four, we even specifically said, Isaiah said this and other things. And so this is one reason the, uh, that the liberals have always attacked Isaiah is because no, this is written after the fact. No, uh, uh, the, 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 I think one reason the Lord allowed them to find the scrolls was to, just to show that this was all, uh, this was all prophecy that was fulfilled exactly like God said it would be filled. Uh, fulfilled, and it's, uh, we see that it was predicted, as we said, predicted in, uh, in the Old Testament. It is fulfilled in the New Testament, uh, and so we see that the, the gospel proclaims the message of Isaiah and the salvation that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, another thing about uh, Isaiah that really just, uh, for one thing, they really have problems with Isaiah 53, which is the suffering servant and how that he would actually die on the cross for our sins. But there's all kinds of prophecies throughout uh, Isaiah that people say, well, they just couldn't be written. Well, Isaiah is going to prophesy. In fact, uh, remember this was chapters seven through nine. We see that a man named Ahaz, a wicked king, that God kept prophesying to him, said, if you don't straighten out, these things are coming. And uh, we see that uh, he's writing before Hezekiah. Remember, Hezekiah is his son. But he's prophesying what's going to happen to both the northern tribe and the southern tribe if they don't, if they keep going their routes into idolatry. And he's writing and he tells us about uh, great empires that are going to happen. He tells us about the Assyrian Empire, which is now really taking off. And they are going to be the ones that are already preparing for war. And to them, this would be the, their version of World War III that was going to come and just what, come through and wipe out the northern ten tribes. Of Israel and God said He predicted this, and by the way, the northern ten tribes—that uh, is—they when they were wiped out, they were wiped out, folks. They are not somewhere around the world. No, they, many of the people, and we're going to see the remnant. Many of those people, even as far back as uh, Jeroboam, 300 years before this happened, they were starting to filter down into Judah because they did not want to worship the, those gods that uh, the northern ten tribes had, and so. Uh, many of the children of, uh, children of Israel left their inheritance because uh, they did not want to be part of an idolatrous nation. Even though, remember, Elisha and Elijah went and they preached in northern Israel. And, uh, and, of course, they were rejected. 
But uh, so the, they're, they're the remnant that is, that is still here. Of the, if that wasn't the case, then God couldn't call them back together in the book of Revelation. And so they're still out there. <clears throat> There's no such thing as the British Israelitism and all these different things that came up in the 20th century about how the, the English nations are now the Jews. And all, just all kinds of crazy things that are out there. No, God is, uh, <clears throat> God predicted uh, the Assyrians would come in and totally destroy the northern tribes. But then he also tells us in chapter 13 about the Babylonian power that's going to defeat the Assyrian powers. And this is again before Hezekiah, and we know the Assyrians came in uh, with, uh, and remember, Sennacherib and surrounding Jerusalem, the 185,000. That was all predicted by Isaiah a generation before it happened. And then he talks about the Babylonians who are going to eventually take Judah into captivity. And Babylon was still was just a subservient uh, little nation that uh, finally God raised them up. And he said, we're going to see how that he said they, he was, they were going to overthrow the Assyrians. And then he talks about Persia. And the Persians got to overthrow the, the Babylonians. And then he talks, we're going to see, there's so many things that Isaiah predicts before they ever happen. And of course, the one that uh, we mentioned, uh, um, <clears throat> uh, Dominic, but he loves that one part about Cyrus the king. Well, Isaiah, 300, uh, well, about 200 years before it ever happened, he tells us about a king named Cyrus who was going to let the people from the Babylonian captivity come back to Jerusalem. And he names him by name. And then uh, the prophets take the uh, prophecy into Cyrus and Cyrus even writes a document that's extant. But he says, oh, if that's what it says. And he names me by name. Who am I? So actually he, he decreed that the children of Israel could come back from the Babylonian captivity. And that's all in the book of Isaiah. Now, we're, obviously, we're not going to be able to take care of all that this morning. But we see a lot of the prophecies that are mentioned. But the whole book of Isaiah, we've got to remember, and all of the prophecy in the Old Testament is Jewish. They didn't know a thing about the church. They didn't know, of course, the, the first time we hear the church is where the Lord, where Paul, where, excuse me, when Jesus said to Peter, thou art, uh, you are Peter, but upon this rock, what rock? That Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord. I will build my church. I will build it. In other words, it hadn't been established yet. So we know as Christians, and this is why it's so difficult to teach, so we have to go back and get those who really don't know a lot about this. What we know that the Old Testament ended at the cross, right? Because it fulfilled everything about the Old Testament, about the lamb that was slain for our sins. And Jesus was the lamb of God, was he not? And he did come, behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, John chapter 1. So the whole Gospels begins with the virgin born Lamb of God. And so we see that uh, it was a total fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ fulfilled the Messiah's uh, qualifications uh, from all the, the things that were talked about in all the prophets. And so we know, that, but the Lord Jesus, we know he came into his own and his own received him not. The Jews did not receive him. But to as many as received him, the Gentiles, to them gave he the power, the authority to be called children of God. 
So now we are God's children today. We're not British Israelites. We're not, you know, we're not Gentile Jews or whatever else. No, we are Gentiles. Remember the whole book of Acts, we see that it started in the temple, but it ended in the church. And so we see that the church now, the church age, the age of the Gentiles is where we are today. That's the reason I love Hebrews chapter 12. I just discovered it this past week again, where as a church, we come before our Mount Zion, the Lord Jesus, as our temple. Of course, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We come here and we're surrounded by an innumerable uh, council of angels. Folks, we have a crowd with us this morning. Now, I don't want them to... uh, to say amen, because if they did, scare me half to death, let alone you. But you know, there again, we are surrounded by a whole bunch of angels that love God. So I want to get with the angels and praise him. And so we see that uh, he tells us that. But we know, okay, now you people, students, you've been with me. We know that the cross ended, that's where uh, salvation was given to both Jew and Gentile. You were saved by looking forward to the cross. Now we look back to the cross. And so even the first book of the Bible written, Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. I can't figure it all out, but I know he lives. And we know that Jesus lives. And so they look forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. But what is going to end this institution? And then God is going to start dealing specifically with Israel again in a time called a time called a time of Jacob's trouble, which is what? Called the what? The tribulation, right? And so where does the tribulation begin and the church age end? Class, please help me. I've been talking about this over and over again. (laughs) Okay, the rapture, right? Okay, everybody knows that you're... Okay, so we know that the church is going to be taken up into heaven at the rapture, right? And then God is going to specifically deal with the Jews and bring them back to himself during that time. And we know that they're going to rule and reign for a thousand years so that the Lord can fulfill all the promises that he gave both to Abraham and to David. And so God, why why does there have to be a thousand year reign? Because God didn't fulfill it all yet. They're still fighting over there in the Middle East right now. But one day Jerusalem is going to be the capital of the world and a Jew and Gentile is going to come and worship God there on that holy mountain. And so we know that's all going to happen. And, but the, this is all kind of a muddle to the Old Testament because they didn't understand exactly. They did not understand that the Messiah would have to come and die first in order to give us spiritual life. And so they did not understand the age of the Gentiles that would come that Daniel spoke about. And remember, Daniel gave us an outline of history. There would be Babylon, then there'd be Persia, then there'd be Greece, then there'd be Rome, and then you'd have Rome splitting up and then Rome would be trying to get back together during the last days. And that's what we're seeing with the European market today or the EU or whatever they call it. And so we see all that. Now, am I confusing you? I hope not. But uh, there again, I'm just kind of giving, if you don't understand this, what we do is go over and over again and all of a sudden it clicks in your mind. But... uh, we see then that uh, Isaiah is written, writing in the time frame he's writing in is back before the Assyrian. Well, the Assyrians are now just gaining their world power. And that's before the Babylonians, which was the first uh, Roman numeral number one for Daniel. But uh, we see that um, in chapter 10, we see that Isaiah is warning the people. And in the verse, and of course, actually it begins in chapter 9, uh, but uh, during the days of Ahaz, he's just telling him, you people are so corrupt. 
And if you don't get straightened out, God is going to judge you. And I'm going to raise up a vicious um, group of people who are going to really bring a scourge upon you. I remember as a 10th grade uh, history, I'm glad that I had some very good history teachers in high school, but his name was Mr. Ward. And Mr. Ward, as far as I know, wasn't a Christian, but he said something that I always remembered, and I wasn't a Christian, or I wasn't following the Lord. I didn't know much about God at that time myself. But I remember him saying, the Assyrians were the Nazis of their day. I mean, they were vicious people. They, like we said, the, the one thing they love to do to captives is skin them alive and watch them die slowly. You know, just, uh, uh, I mean, it's bad stuff. I mean, nothing new under the sun. Look what they're doing in the Middle East today. And so we see that he says, I'm going to raise up these people. And in verses 1 through 4, he, he tells us that actually begins in earlier than that. But uh, as far as the chapters are concerned, in verses 5 through 12 of, Luke, of, uh, of uh, Isaiah chapter 10, he tells us that he's going to use Assyria as his instruments. This is nothing new. In fact, God tells Habakkuk, another of the prophets, later on, as even after Assyria has been, uh, has been dealt with and um, Judah is still a very wicked city and a wicked place. And, uh, and uh, Habakkuk is saying, Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? And the Lord says, don't worry, Habakkuk. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians and they're going to take care of you or take care of Babylon or take, excuse me, take care of Jerusalem. And uh, Habakkuk says, wait a minute, Lord, those people are just as mean as the Assyrians. And the Lord says, don't worry about it. I, uh, you asked me, so I told you. Sometimes, folks, it's not good to ask God what's going to happen next. Amen. I don't know what's going to happen next week in the Middle East. I know one thing. It will not be World War III. I know one thing. It will not be Armageddon because I, I'm seven years removed from Armageddon. How do I know? Because that's at the end of that seven-year day of the Lord where I'm going to be taken up to heaven, and you will be too, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll be watching, we'll have a ringside seat in heaven, watching what's going on down here. And so there again, uh, but uh, at the time, it's, for, it's getting vicious over there. When you start cutting off baby, babies' heads and burning people, they take flamethrowers and you know, just fry people alive right there on the spot and all these different things that we're seeing vicious stuff that's going on all in the you know, because they hate God and they hate the Jew. Now be very careful with all this today, folks, and I, maybe I'm getting a little sidetracked. But uh, it's hard to deal with the Jew today. What I mean by that is God tells us as Christians, I will bless those who bless them and he, I, he will curse those who curse him. So I do not curse the Jew. In fact, I'm all for him. I can't stand some of their politics. I mean, we got a couple of people in government that are actually communists that are Jews. It bothers me to no end, but I am not one that wants to burn a cross in their front yard. I'm not one who wants to know God says he'll bless. So we as a country, as a people, we bless the Jew. Or as a church anyway, our country is turning away from that. And so do not, I hope you're not going to be one of those gets out and marches against the Jews out in Jerusalem today. I hope that, uh, you know, back in the, you know, we heard about the one reason I think that the KKK was uh, anti-Christian was because they would take the, uh, the symbol of Christianity, the gospel of love, and burn it in front of people's yards. Uh, Jews, I had a good friend named Ben Alpert. He told me, I said, how can so many Jews be 
against conservative Christians. He says, well, if you were a Jew growing up like I was in Birmingham, Alabama, and you had a cross burnt in your front yard at three o'clock in the morning, how would you feel? I'm going, I see your point. And so, no, the KK, those kinds of groups, folks, are just as anti-Christian as Antifa. They're just as anti-Christian as, uh, as the communists are. And so don't get involved in any of these groups that hate the Jews. And so, uh, again, and I used to preach that down in Mobile, Alabama, too, and just down the road was where they used to have KKK meetings. And so, uh, again, I've always been against the KKK, and I think any Christian with a lick of Bible knowledge has to be against them also. But also a lot of these modern movements are just as bad, if not worse. And so we see that, uh, we see that uh, he says that, um, well, let's try to get back on subject here. But uh, he says, uh, uh, so the Assyrians are going to come and they're going uh, to be God's instrument. But then in chapter, verses 10 through 13, and we don't, won't take time, he says, well, I'm going to destroy the Assyrians because of their pride. And remember, he talks about their pride. Where do we see their pride? Remember Sennacherib and how that he sent... Uh, uh, he sent his emissaries to Jerusalem and they preached about how that your God is just nothing and how that if you don't bow to Sennacherib, if you read about, uh, actually you could read it in chapters 37 through 39 of the book of Isaiah. And it was obvious that Sennacherib thought he, he was better than God, Israel's God. What did God do to, Israel, to Sennacherib? 185,000 of his men died overnight. Remember that? And then he went back to, to Syria with his whole, you don't lose 185,000 men, folks, without losing a substantial part of your, of your armed forces. But he went back to <coughs> Syria with his tail between his legs and his own sons killed him. So we see that God has ways of taking care of the proud and the boastful. And so that was all pro- prophesied a generation before it ever happened. This was prophesied even by Isaiah here in chapter 10 before it ever ever happens in chapter 37 and 39. So we see that then he's going to tell us, though, that uh, in verses verses, uh, 20 through 34 of that chapter, he tells us about uh, how that uh, the northern ten tribes are going to be wiped out by the Assyrians in that day. In fact, fact, turn with me to back to verse 20 of uh, chapter 10. And he says, he says, uh, and it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as has escaped the house of Jacob. And then he goes on and explains, yes, there's going to be a remnant, even of those northern 10 tribes that God is going to protect. So there's no such thing as the lost 10 tribes of Israel. They're still out there somewhere. God knows exactly what he's doing. And when he regathers them, he's even going to name them by tribe. And we see that in the book of Revelation, right? We are not it, folks. We're Gentiles. Is there a Jew here? We've had Jews visit with us before. And God bless you. If you're a Christian, you're double blessed. You're God's chosen people and you're God's chosen people. And we're God's chosen people, are we not? But we're not Jews. So, uh, so there again, uh, we see that uh, God says in that day there will be that remnant and that he, that he will protect that remnant uh, <clears throat> for himself. 
And, but actually, as you read about the things that are going to happen in verses 20 through 34, you see the movement of the Assyrian army as it surrounds Jerusalem. And as, of, of course, uh, Sennacherib uh, uh, comes and he is boasting about what he's going to do. And what happens? God destroys the army. What's God going to do during the, uh, during the battle of Armageddon? The forces of all the world and the Antichrist are going to come to Jerusalem. But what's going to happen? God is going to destroy their armies at the battle of Armageddon. Isn't that kind of interesting how that it's kind of shades of things to come? And so Isaiah is prophesying and he's kind of, and he's like a poet. He he puts it out there a little bit, and then he brings it back. I, I love uh, uh, one of my favorite, because uh, uh, I could interpret it so easily, is uh, uh, the 1812 Overture by Tchaikovsky. The reason is because you know that that's about the celebration of the Russians whenever they defeated Napoleon in, in Moscow. But you hear the, the sounds of the uh, French national anthem. Da, 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 da. No, I forget it. No, my wife goes crazy when I try to uh, try to make noise or whatever. But you can hear the uh, the the French national anthem, and then it dies out. And then you hear the Russians as they're coming, and it dies out. And then you hear the the French, and then all of a sudden the big battle at the end with all the cannons and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that is a masterpiece because of the way he plays the different nationalities against each other. Well, Isaiah is like that. He will put it out there a little bit, then he'll bring it back. He'll put it out there and he'll bring it back. And after a while, you say, wait a minute, what's, what's going to how will happen? You know? So this is what we see Isaiah doing. He tells us a little bit, then he backs up, and then he'll change subjects, and then he'll come back to it. And so Isaiah is, uh, is of course, we call him the prince of the prophets. But uh, we see that uh, then he tells us that there is going to be that remnant um, and that... Um, and actually, the whole thing is kind of a, a, a uh, foreplay of what's going to happen during the tribulation. But uh, then we see in chapter 11, one of these great passages of Scripture, we see that he tells us, uh, he says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, or actually we could say from the stump of Jesse. Why? Because Israel's been cut off. Israel is no longer, we saw back in chapter 7, she will be devoid of both her kings, both north and south, will not have a king anymore. And so we see that uh, uh, we know that out of that, and notice God doesn't mention, uh, doesn't mention David here. He says from Jesse, Jesse was David's father. In other words, he was bringing, David now, if he, if the, in the Jewish mind, David said, oh, David's a king. So, you know, if he's a king, then, uh, you know, we're looking forward to a Messiah coming as a king. The stem of, what was Jesse? He was just a shepherd. And he had seven shepherd boys. And he taught the youngest how to be a shepherd. And he was the one who wrote as a teenager, the Lord is my shepherd. So he didn't even mention David because he became the great king. But he mentions little old nobody, Jesse, who as a result of God's dealing with a great son would be born from him. And so isn't, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't come as a king. He came in a manger, a horse trough or a sheep trough in a cave. He wasn't, didn't come from a palace, but he just came as a humble child of, or a humble, humble shepherd. But a rod shall come from the stem of Jesse, a branch uh, and out of his roots, 
The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and uh, the fear of the Lord. Now, the number seven is not a number of perfection. It's a number of completeness. In other words, it talks about when God has done something, he saw that it was very good. He completed it. Everything that was created that, that he saw was good. And what did he do? He rested on the, because it was all complete. And seven is a number of completion through the Bible. Now, whenever you see Bible lists, like the fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Now, who is love? God is love, 1 John chapter 1. Everything under that then is a result of love. What does love do? It brings joy. It brings peace. And so those are the things that God does with us spiritually. But then long-suffering, meekness, patience, gentleness, and all that, those are all things that God provides for our social being for other people. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, but it branches out into all kinds of other things. Well, the Spirit here, we see the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. But then if you see the rest of those, everything else, there's only six. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is the main thing, and everything else under it, the other six, deal with who the Spirit of the Lord is. And the Spirit of the Lord is wisdom and understanding of counsel. Remember, he's a great counselor of might or power, of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. He's the one that teaches. So what does the Holy Spirit do? We know that the Holy Spirit is going to be there at the throne of God. That's seven spirits of God we see over in the book of Revelation, and I gave you some references you can look at. But um, we also see in Matthew chapter 3, remember what happened? When the Lord Jesus was baptized, what, what happened? The Spirit of the Lord came in the form of, an, of a dove and rested upon him. And then over in chapter 4 of Luke, we see that whenever he went to the synagogue, he proclaimed to the synagogue, what? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach. And so we see that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. So who are we talking about? The Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're seeing now that now he is prophesying the Messiah. He's skipping over all the things that are going on. And he's talking about the great hope of the gospel. The delight, notice he says in verse 3, the delight is, is in the fear of the Lord, uh, his delight. And of course he says, I do all things to please my Father, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes. He shall judge spiritually. In other words, God, Jesus Christ was God. And he talks about Jesus Christ coming to earth and faithfully judging. Now, what we like, and he skips all the way over now to that millennial reign in verse 6. The wolf shall lay down by the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the child shall lead them and all these different things. The cow and the bear shall grace together. I mean, what, what will a cow do if it sees a bear today? What does the bear say to us when he sees a cow? Dinner, you know. But it's coming a day when they are going to, it's kind of like that, uh, one hunter, and uh, he was, you know, he was chased by a bear. You know, bear, the bear turned on him and started chasing him. And he said, Lord, make that bear a, a Christian. 
So the bear comes up and knocks the old the hunter down and he turns around and the bear's down on one knee saying, no, Lord, bless this food. And so no, uh, no, uh, uh, there's coming a day when the nature is going to be changed where uh, the lion will lay down because what, why did, why did the lion want to eat the bear? Or why did the, why did the lion want to eat the sheep? Or why, why do we have carnivorous animals today? Because of sin. Nature is cruel, isn't it? It's beautiful, but it's cruel. But the cruelty of sin will be taken away one day. And just to prove that, God is going to re- redo the Garden of Eden and make it all over again for a thousand years. For one reason, just to prove that he can do it. And another reason is because he promised Abraham and, I, uh, Abraham and David he would do it. Did he not? And so if God hasn't done it, he has to do it. So whenever you read the Old Testament, you say, well, I've never seen that. And even though we have had a president that said, you know, he's going to cause the uh, rivers not to, uh, the oceans not to rise and all that. So he never did it. In fact, it's worse off after he got through than before. Because man will not do it. The United Nations will not beat the, the, the uh, swords into plow, plowshares, even though they've got a picture of that or a statue of that in front of the United Nations building. The more the United Nations gets into things, the more wars they cause. Peace, peace. There is no peace. Because man can't do it. The whole idea that we're going to get together with a global thought and our karma is going to come together and we're going to think as one. Isn't that going to be great? We are the world. No, we're a bunch of sinners on our way to hell unless we accept the king of the world. King of my life, I crown thee now. And so what a contrast between what Isaiah, the Lord's going to do, and what man thinks he's going to do. And so we see the whole idea of globalism is today is a defiance of God. Why do the nations rage? And kings imagine vain things. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. You know, God sits, he's laughing at the United Nations today. I think he's weeping, but he, you know, it's one of those weeping laughs. You ever had that problem where you, where you feel so sorry for somebody you want to weep, but you just want to laugh at their stupidity at the same time? Well, that's what the Lord does, I think, with what he sees on earth. But in all this, we see then in chapter uh, that uh, he'll explain this, or he talks about that. But then notice in verse 11, this is one of those, another thing where we see, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall, uh, will set his hand a second time to recover the remnant. Now, wait a minute. The first remnant hasn't even been scattered or captured. And yet he says the second time. So he's talking about another time. So we see that he's predicting that they are going to be captured and then they're going to return to the land. And we saw that fulfilled the first time through Ezra and Nehemiah. Remember the temple was rebuilt and the walls were rebuilt and uh, so forth. That was the first uh, of the, right, where Israel came back and became a nation again. Israel is the only nation in the history of the world that has been destroyed twice and is now coming back together as a nation twice. And so we saw that the first time. And then we see that uh, from the time of Malachi or a time of Ezra and Nehemiah when they were regathered, we see that uh, all the way to the time of Jesus Christ that uh, they didn't have a king anymore. Remember, they were robbed of both their kings. 
never had a king again except the Lord Jesus, but they rejected him. And when they rejected him, what happened? The Romans came in about 10 years after the time that Paul wrote Colossians and other books and they completely wiped out Israel again and scattered them to the four corners of the world. And guess what happened in 1948? God started gathering them back together again. Phenomenal. In fact, I, we're running out of time, but I just love to read the account of Harry Truman and how that he and Eddie Jacobson were good buddies in World War I. He's an old uh, farmer out in the middle of, uh, of Missouri. He joined the services. He's too old. He couldn't see or whatever, but he still wanted to join. And so, they, uh, so he, be, he went to Europe as an artilleryman with a, a Jew from New York by the name of Eddie Jacobson. And they became best friends. And then after the war, they even started a men's clothing, a haberdashery together. And then they went broke together and during the Depression. And yet God raised up uh, 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 Harry Truman to be president of the United States and how that he, did, uh, he was just put in as an afterthought by Roosevelt. And yet he became, he, he had all these things going around him. And then in 1948, and the Jews were back in Israel, they desperately needed the United States to, uh, to recognize them as a, as a nation. And they, he was going to start World War III if he did it. Remember all, all the, I mean, you don't remember it, but I wasn't even born myself. But at this time, uh, so, but all these things were going on. And I just loved to read. And here, Truman is sitting in there saying, if I don't, then I'm going to be anti-Semitic. If I do, then I'm going to start World War III. I don't know which way to go. And David Ben-Gurion and uh, Golda Meir, they knew or they heard about Eddie Jacobson. And they sent that guy that was with them back in World War I and failed as a businessman together. And they sent him into the, and they got him into the White House. And as soon as, oh, when, they, when he saw Eddie Jacobson and he came into the Oval Office, he cussed real big like uh, like Truman did, he turned his back and he says, I'll do it for you. And he recognized Israel as a nation in May of 1948. And the whole world has changed and everything about prophecy has changed since. I love to read before 1948, this is such a muddle. But today it's straightening out, folks. God is gathering his people back to himself. And when you see those things coming, what does the Lord say? Look up for the Son of Man is drawing nigh, folks. I'm looking forward to it. I'm not worrying about World War III. They could have my car. They could have my everything about it. If the Lord will just take me home to be, the sooner the better. Although we got people that are in the sound of my voice that says, Lord, let me get married first. I know I was in that situation myself. Look, all those different things. You know, there are certain people that don't want to, uh, to come to after they have experienced some of the joys of life. But at the same time, you know, the, folks, this is all, isn't it great? I mean, we're right in the middle of what he's talking about. The second time, God is already gathering his people back to himself. Now, in saying that, if that's all true, then we see and boy, boy, we have to finish this up. But now that's all just a prelude to what we just read. Isaiah now in chapter 12 is praising the Lord as if it's already happened. Well, isn't that great Messiah? I mean, he's just saying this has already happened. Because if, folks, if God promises it, it will happen. If God promises you something, his name is at stake in your life. 
And so if he says he will never leave you or forsake you, he cannot leave you or forsake you because it's impossible for God to lie. And if God says he's going to gather Israel back to himself, he will gather Israel back to himself. If he says he will take you to heaven, he will take you to heaven. Is that plain? So can we not sing about this old world's not my home, I'm just passing through, and mean it with confidence? And so we see that he is now saying, you know, in the day the Lord, in that day, here we go, we're talking about the day the Lord's coming. Uh, I will, oh Lord, I will praise you, though you were angry with me. Talking about Israel. Uh, your anger is turned away. Folks, our sin makes us an enemy of God. We are, we are enemies of God by our wicked works. Yet now has he reconciled. There's no salvation until God's anger of our sin is turned away. And so obviously Israel has come back to, its, to him. They are turned away and that you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. The very name Joshua is Jehovah's salvation. Jesus is the Greek derivative of that. Jesus and Joshua are synonymous like John and Juan are in Spanish and English. And so here we have, um, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Now, where do we get that? Both Old and New Testament. I will not fear what man can do unto me. The Lord is the light of my, and the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah, or excuse me, Psalm 27. For Jehovah, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. I've been saved. I believe in him. And Israel was going to be turned back to the Lord too. Therefore, with joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And the reason I titled this whole message this morning is the, this is the words that the Lord is going to repeatedly, and the salvation is going to be used in the New Testament. And I gave you four or, four or five verses here. John chapter 4. Remember the woman at the well? He said, whosoever drinks of the well, that the, 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 this well shall uh, thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become like wells or fountains of water springing up into everlasting life. Folks, do you have it? Do you, have the, do you drink from the well that shall never run dry? Fill my cup, Lord. You know, like a river glorious, all those different terms that we use for salvation and the blessings of God in our lives. In John chapter 7, again, he says, if anyone, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He, will, he believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of, the, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And again, you could, if you want to study that, just look up, Google it or whatever, look up rivers or fountains or wells of water, and you'll find that that is repeated time and time again in the book of Isaiah, the prophets, as well as all through the New Testament. Folks, let's drink from the well that never drowns or die, the well of salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in Revelation chapter 21, he says, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain or the well of life, or the well of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And folks, God promises salvation to whoever will.
come and drink the well of salvation. In Revelation chapter 22, one of the last promises in the Bible, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold Spirit, the Spirit of peace, the power that God gives to us. But he says the Spirit and the bride, the bride is whom? The bride of Christ is the church. What is our message to a lost and dying world? Our message is come, come to the Lord Jesus and let him who uh, hears say come and let him who thirst come and whosoever desires, let him uh, take the water of life freely. Folks, we don't charge you to come to church here. We don't, in fact, we invite you to come. Sometimes we even pay you to come. If you'll come and eat with us, we'll let you come. You know, whatever. We want you to come. We want any way to get you here. We want you to be under the sound of the gospel and drink of the water freely. And we hope that we'll have plenty of it to give you. And the only way that we can give it to you is because it's right here in this book. And that's the reason we want to preach the word and not some man's philosophy or whatever else. But whosoever will may come. And so this is the whole message. And we see that, the, that this is the salvation that comes to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And so God wants us to be saved. And he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That they would all, that we all know him. Israel rejected their Messiah, but one day they're going to accept him again. But his message was taken by his disciples. And even though the synagogues and the temple and the Jewish people rejected him, we see that God still had his message out to simple people like us who tell the world about the light of the world, the water of life, Jesus Christ, who's the answer to all their problems. Do you know him as your personal savior? Do you, do you know that one day you will be with him forever? Have you drank from the water, from the rivers of, or rivers of water? Have you wells of life? Have you dipped your cup and said, Lord, fill my cup. I lift it up and ask him to fill it with the water that, with the wells that never run dry. Oh, that we would understand and appreciate and love the springs of living water that God gives to whoever who all believes. Do you know him? Do you have the promises of God? The promises of God is whosoever will may come. And the church this morning and this pastor this morning says, come. Come to him. Come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. The word which teaches us salvation. The word that provides the knowledge of where to go to get the wells or the water from the wells that never run dry. Oh, Lord Jesus, bless your people with a great desire that the living, the flowing word of God will live in and through us that a lost and dying world will want what we have. A world that is thirsty. A world that is without answers. A world that is running to and fro and never learning the knowledge of the truth. Oh, may they come to know you as their personal Savior. We do pray, Lord, for our servicemen. We pray for our for Israel, the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the Jew 
in that area, that they would be saved. We pray for the Gentile and the Arab in that area, that they're saved, that they would be saved. We realize that you're not willing, whether Arab, Jew, Gentile, or whatever, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lord, may we preach it. May the word be plain, but it may be powerful. Whosoever will may come and let, they, let them drink from the waters that will, wells that will never run dry. Bless, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.